0: Alrighty church, if you have your Bibles, let's open those up to Ecclesiastes chapter 1. I was thinking about you all as I got dressed this morning, given that Ecclesiastes is such a kind of a Debbie Downer book, I I dressed in my yellow shirt to be a little bit more cheerful up here, so don't know that that will be any help whatsoever, but just know that you were considered when I chose this polo this morning Ecclesiastes chapter 1 we're going to begin at verse 12 and we're going to work all the way through chapter 2 today so that'll be all the way through verse 26 in chapter 2 last week we started off Ecclesiastes by being introduced to the author refers to himself as the teacher, uh, the son of David, king in Jerusalem in verse 1. And I mentioned that we don't know for certain who this is because the author of Ecclesiastes never actually gives us his name. Uh, But we can take some context clues about who the author is from the book, and with a high degree of assurance, we can assume that Solomon is the teacher that was mentioned in verse 1, and he's going to be mentioned again in verse 12 of our text this morning. Uh, In those verses, we learn that the teacher was the son of David and the king over Israel in Jerusalem. Uh, And the fact that Solomon was the only son of David that ruled over a unified Israel from Jerusalem gives us a good reason to name him as the teacher. And so we assume uh, that Solomon is the teacher for good reason. Uh, his life also matches up well with what we see described in the life of the teacher. And so, so we're, we're accrediting Solomon with writing this book. And last week, uh, we looked at a poem that showed us that the teacher has an extremely bleak outlook on human existence. Right? In that poem, Solomon stated that everything is absolute futility, like the most futile that it could possibly be. Right? He says that no one gains anything from all their effort in this life. There's a lot going on, but none of it matters because it's all cyclical. It's all going around in circles. We always end up right back where we started. He points out that the eyes are not satisfied with seeing. He says the ears are not satisfied with hearing. And one of the reasons why nothing matters is that there's nothing new under the sun. Everything that ha- has been done will continue to be done, and there will be nothing new to add to it. And so life is meaningless. And another reason that nothing matters is that few of us will be remembered when we're gone. And that's how we wrapped things up last week, right? Like you're gonna live your life, it's gonna go in circles, and then all of a sudden you're gonna die and no one will remember you a couple of generations from now. So yeah, hence the yellow shirt, right? That's trying, trying to help you guys out here, all right? Now this is just an, a generic overview of how Solomon saw the world after living a hedonistic lifestyle apart from a relationship with God. So this is his big picture. He's painting, he's showing us how he thinks about the world. And this morning, in our text this morning, we're going to see he's going to focus in that, uh, that perspective and he's going to show us some particulars about how he chose to live his life. All right, so we're getting to see the process that Solomon took as he is searching for meaning, as he's searching for happiness in every way humanly possible. And he's going to tell us in chapter two everything that he tried. But before we do that, we need to pray. All right? Uh, so pray for me as I pray uh, regarding this text. Father, help us to consider the truths that we find in Ecclesiastes. It's a difficult book to take in, it's a difficult book to process, but it's not a difficult book to apply. Lord, anything that takes our eyes off of you is futile. Anything that we put our hope in is meaningless, apart from you. And I pray that we would have minds and hearts and eyes that are leaning towards you today, that we would push aside everything else that is futile in our life, and we would pursue after you in everything that we have, think, and do. Lord, it's in your son's precious name that I pray, amen. All right, so let's look at verses 12 to 18 this morning in in chapter 1. He begins there saying, I, the teacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem. I applied my mind to examine and explore through wisdom all that is done under heaven. God has given people this miserable task to keep them occupied. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun and found everything to be futile, a pursuit of the wind." What is crooked cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. I said to myself, See, I have amassed wisdom far beyond all those who were over Jerusalem before me. And my mind has thoroughly grasped wisdom and knowledge. I applied my mind to know wisdom and knowledge, madness and folly. I learned, too, that this is pursuit of the wind. For with much wisdom is much sorrow. As knowledge increases, grief increases." So as I mentioned before, verse 12 gives us a little bit more insight into the identity of the teacher. So he's telling us that he is the king over Israel in Jerusalem. In verse 13, Solomon is going to describe an experiment that he has decided to try. He wants to apply his great wisdom and knowledge to the question, is there anything in this world that ultimately matters? Solomon is seeking meaning. He's looking for something to define him, and he wants to see, is there anything in this life worth living for? And the parameters he sets in this search, uh, he states there he's going to use his mind to examine and explore through wisdom all that is done under heaven. And I mentioned last week that when he's talking about under heaven, this is a worldly pursuit, He's not pursuing after God. He's not pursuing after anything supernatural or otherworldly. Everything that he is pursuing, everything that he is keeping his focus on is in this world. And so here, Solomon has done what so many in our world have done and continue to do throughout the history of our existence. He is looking for meaning outside of the relationship with God. He has limited his search for meaning to what can be found on this earth, and he doesn't leave us wondering at all about how this experiment turns out. Look again in verses 13 to 15. There Solomon says, All that is done under heaven is a miserable task given by God to keep people occupied, but everything is futile, a pursuit of the wind. He throws in, if you were confused about that, he throws in this proverb that says, uh, what is crooked cannot be straightened and what is lacking cannot be counted. And so by this, he means that there is no hope for the outcome of this experiment to change. It's already crooked. It's already lacking. There's not going to be anything that changes that. Everything that there is to do under the sun ends in futility, and there is nothing we can do under the sun to inject meaning into it. So it doesn't matter how we approach it. It doesn't matter what mindset we have as we go into it. If we are going into worldly pursuits and have no connection with God through those, it's going to be broken, it's going to be meaningless, and there's nothing you can do about it. The reason that we can't find meaning under the sun is because we were created to be in relationship with God. right? Our focus in this life is meant to be worshiping Him and bringing Him glory. right? That's where we find meaning as His children created in his image that is where we were meant to find meaning but unfortunately our relationship with God was broken when Adam and Eve chose to sin and rebel in the garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3 it introduced sin into the world it introduced death into the world and since this occurred everyone who has been born has similarly sinned and sought to find meaning in anything and everything other than God ultimately though nothing will ever truly fulfill us because there is this bottomless hole that is in our soul in our hearts that can only be filled by our relationship with God and it doesn't matter what we pour into that it's never going to be enough to fill the space that God is meant to fill in our life now listen that's not to say that people who live lives apart from God have no happiness whatsoever Right. Some of the happiest people I know are not Christians. I mean, if everyone who was separated from God by their sin walked around moping like Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh all the time, and if Christians walked around skipping and singing praises and doing that all the time, don't you think there might be a correlation and people go, hmm, I think it's going to rain all day every day. That person's skipping through the tulips in the rain And maybe there's something there that I should look into, but that's not how this works, right? There are many people who are separated from God. They enjoy their lives, but if they were to take the time to examine their existence a little deeper, they might agree with Solomon that their existence under the sun is meaningless. When you take all of this to its logical conclusion at the very end, there is nothing but futility in pursuing after these things. No matter how much we do in this life, no matter how much fun we have, no matter how well we take care of our bodies, no matter how many people we help, eventually death comes for us all. And then what happens to everything that we've worked so hard for? Right? Will anyone remember us after we're gone? Sure, for a little while. But what about beyond one generation, two generations? Will we leave any kind of lasting legacy at all? Did we have any lasting impact on the world at all? Solomon contemplates all of this as he sets out on this journey for meeting, uh, meaning. And if you look at verse 16, we're shown Solomon's first stop on this journey. Here we learn that Solomon decided to seek meaning in wisdom and knowledge. Right? Verse 17 says that he applied his mind to know wisdom and knowledge and he also sought to understand the inverse of that as well by studying madness and folly. So he's pursuing knowledge. He's pursuing wisdom. He's trying to bring all that in and in an effort to make this a well-rounded pursuit, he also thinks about madness and stupidity. Right, what is it like to live as a wise person? What is it like to live as an idiot? Right? He's thinking about all these things and he's pursuing meaning from this. But, he says, this is a pursuit of the wind because with much wisdom comes much sorrow. He says, as knowledge increases, grief increases. Now, have you found this to be true? Have you ever thought about it? As knowledge increases, grief increases, right? Have you found that the more that you learn, the worse things can tend to get in your mind? Right, think about it. Think about back to your life when you were a child, right? You knew nothing about responsibility. If you grew up in a decent home life, right, you knew nothing about the harshness of life. Sure, you might know a little bit about death as pets die, maybe a grandparent or two passes, but you don't really consider that one day you will be the one laying in the coffin. One day your loved ones will be surrounding that coffin mourning your life. And this is not something that we consider as normal children. Right? You have no concept of what happens in the rest of the state, in the rest of the country, in the rest of the world. You simply exist in your own little world and life is good, yeah? Right? It's good to be a kid. And then you grow up. And then you learn that the lights don't stay on just because you're cute, right? You have to work for the money that goes into the electric bill, right? You have to make money to pay for the water. You have to make money to pay for your place to live and the car you drive. And suddenly you know about responsibility and that knowledge brings sorrow, doesn't it? Don't you wish you could go back to the days when someone else took care of all that for you? You have grown in wisdom. You have grown in knowledge and it has made you sad. Right? I have to pay that bill again. That keeps coming every single month. And when you grow up, you realize that not all relationships are good relationships. Right? People get divorced. People hurt one another. Maybe they even hurt you and that, bring, that knowledge brings a little bit more sorrow to your life. And now suddenly, the internet boom hits, right? Most of us, I don't know, not too many awful young ones. You guys may have grown up with the Internet your whole life. I did not. We didn't have Internet in my house until like 18, 19, something like that. So all of a sudden, the Internet boom hits, and now we don't have to sit at the TV at 7 o'clock at night waiting to get some information about what happened in our little town maybe possibly what happened in our state and maybe possibly what has happened in our country now we have information about the entire world at all times sitting in our pocket right? if I wanna know what's happening across the world right now all I gotta do is flip my phone out and I can take a look and see what's going on now we can have minute to minute updates about the flooding that happened in Kentucky right now we can have minute to minute information about Russia and Ukraine at our fingertips 24/7. We know now about the atrocities that are committed in North Korea and Afghanistan and now we get to constantly think about what happens if Iran actually does get that nuclear weapon. Now do you want to think about that a little bit more? Pull out your phone. All you got to do you can read about it for days. And I mean, have you ever considered the fact that people often say that our world is getting crazier? Have y'all heard that? Like it's getting darker and darker. Is that true though? Is it true that it is getting darker and darker? What if it's always been like this and we just didn't have access to the information? All of a sudden, you have knowledge at your fingertips and that makes you sad. It gives you burden. It increases the understanding that this life is futile. Solomon knew this, right? Solomon knew that the more he understood, the deeper he dove into philosophy, into wisdom. He came up with the conclusion that in this world, life is meaningless. So he dove into wisdom. He dove into knowledge, finds it empty. He knows his stuff. He's incredibly wise, and yet none of it fulfills him. And then, after his pursuit of knowledge, Solomon tells us his pursuit of pleasure, alcohol, and achievements in chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. Follow along with me as we look at those. I said to myself, Go ahead, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy what is good. But it turned out to be futile. I said about laughter, It is madness. And about pleasure, what does this accomplish? I explored with my mind the pull of wine on my body. My mind still guided me with wisdom and how to grasp folly until I could see what is good for people to do under heaven during the day, few days of their lives. I increased my achievements. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made gardens and parks for myself and planted every kind of fruit tree in them. I constructed reservoirs for myself from which to irrigate a grove of flourishing trees. I acquired male and female servants and had slaves who were born in my house. I also owned livestock, large herds and flocks, more than all who were before me in Jerusalem. I also amassed silver and gold for myself and the pleasure of kings and provinces. I gathered male and female singers for myself and many concubines, the delights of men. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. My wisdom also remained with me. All that my eyes desired, I did not deny them. I did not refuse myself any pleasure, for I took pleasure in all my struggles." This was my reward for all my struggles. When I considered all that I had accomplished and what I had labored to achieve, I found everything to be futile in a pursuit of the wind. There was nothing to be gained under the sun. So right off the bat, we see him deciding to dive into pleasure, right? Whatever feels good, do it. And this is kind of the mantra of our world today, right? As long as it feels good to me, it's got to be fine. It's got to be right. But ultimately, it's... Feudal. Why? Because pleasure never lasts, right? The pleasure of good company ends at some point. Some, you got to go home, but you're always welcome at my house, but you got to go home eventually, right? The pleasure of a good meal. I mean, I, I'm sure that there's probably a meal or two in your life that you can call back and remember even today, but that meal is over at some point and you're going to get hungry again, probably within a few hours. And that meal starts to fade away. Right, the pleasure of a good relationship. If everything goes right your whole life, and it's just the perfect relationship, I hate to break this to you if this is news, but it's going to end in death. The death rate is 100% for every single person. So even the best relationship you can possibly have will end up with one of you being left waiting for grief for the other for a while. He says the next thing that he looks into was alcohol and I, I love the way he talks about this okay this is it if you look at the Bible correctly even in something in, in Ecclesiastes you can find something that's incredibly funny because he approaches alcohol in two ways right, he says at first he comes with the sophisticated approach right, he says he explored I explored the pull of wine on my body with my mind still guiding me with wisdom All Right, so And this, and what I'm thinking of here, you know, he's sitting at the vineyard, right? He's got the glass. He's taking a sip. He's swirling it around, swishing it in his mouth a little bit, taking in the nodes, right? He's doing all this sophisticated stuff, maybe pinky up in the air. I don't know. I I don't know how you do all that. Um, But all that snooty stuff, right? So he's, he's enjoying it, but he's got wisdom on his side. So he's being very sophisticated. And then after that, he says, so I went with... The, with wisdom in mind the first time, and then I went with folly. So, stupidity, right? And so, he goes from this sophisticated wine connoisseur to a full-on frat boy, right? He goes from swirling the wine around to keg stands, right? Like, it's, he's, he went off the deep end, and he's getting rowdy, he's drinking, until he passes out and he's hungover the next morning. He said, I gave myself over to all of it. I need to understand I need to understand what these people think of when they enjoy a good year, for whatever that means. And I need to also understand what these these people are pursuing when they try to get blackout drunk. He says, I pursued it all. Where does this leave him? Well he says that in alcohol, he sees the only way that some people find any happiness at all during their few days of their lives. Why? Because it gives them an escape because in reality they know ultimately life is futile ultimately there is nothing that is worth living for out there and so they try to escape that for a little while and they try to cover it up with alcohol maybe it's another substance that helps you to fade out for a little while it could even be just watching television just zoning out for hours on end just trying to escape reality where do you find happiness Where do you pursue meaning? For some people, it's in a drunken stupor is the only place that they can find any peace in this life because they realize that it's futile. Solomon pursued that. There's a problem here, though. What happens when you sober up? All those problems that you tried to escape are still there. Everything that you are running away from, they don't drown in the alcohol. Nothing changes about your life, so in the end, this is meaningless as well. After alcohol, Solomon mentions striving for achievements to bring meaning into his life. In verses 4 to 11, Solomon says he built houses, he planted vineyards, he made gardens and parks for himself. He says he planted every kind of fruit tree. He built reservoirs to irrigate the groves of trees that he planted. He acquired servants. He owned large herds and flocks. And then just to pat himself on the back, he said, by the way, that was more than anyone else had in Jerusalem before me. That's how awesome I was. It says he amassed a huge amount of wealth. He gathered singers and many concubines around himself. He became greater than any king that ever came before him he says all that my eyes desired he didn't deny them to himself this was his reward for all that he had accomplished and what did it get him he says everything was futile in a pursuit of the wind none of it fulfilled him none of it provided any ultimate meaning for his life and what were his reasons for having zero fulfillment he explains it uh, in verses 12 to 23 he says then I, I turn to consider wisdom madness and folly for what will the king's successor be like he will do what has already been done and I realize that there's an advantage to wisdom over folly like the advantage of light over darkness the wise person has eyes in his head but the fool walks in darkness yet I also knew that one fate comes to them both so I said to myself what happens to, fool, to the fool will also happen to me why then have I been overly wise and I said to myself that this is also futile for just like the fool there is no lasting remembrance of the wise since in the days to come both will be forgotten how is it that the wise person dies just like the fool therefore I hated life because the work that has been done under the Sun was distressing to me for everything is futile in a pursuit of the wind I hated all my work that I labored at under the Sun because I must leave it to the one who comes after me and who knows whether he will be wise or a fool Yet he will take over all my work that I labored at skillfully under the sun. This too is futile. So I began to give myself over to despair concerning all my work that I had labored at under the sun. When there is a person whose work was done with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, and he must give his portion to a person who has not worked for it, this too is futile and a great wrong. For what does a person get with all his work and all his efforts that he labors at under the sun? For all his days are filled with grief, and his occupation is sorrowful. Even at night his mind does not rest. This too is futile. So in this section, Solomon acknowledges that there is an advantage to being wise over being stupid. Right? He says that the wise person has eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. So the wise person is seeing things that are going on. He's processing this stuff well. The foolish person just walks into stuff. Right? He's walking in darkness, walks into foolish situations, does things stupidly. And so I think all of us would agree that being wise is better than being a fool. Yeah? Wouldn't you agree with that? Having wisdom in your head is better than being stupid? I think all of us would agree with that. But in the end, whether you are wise or whether you are a fool, everything ends the same way. Death. Smart people, stupid people, doesn't matter how it goes, you're all going to die. (laughs) Now, if you're stupid, you might get there faster, right? But we see here that it doesn't matter... One way or the other, whether he is wise or whether he is stupid, everybody ends in the same place. All that has been done in wisdom will be forgotten, just as those who lived in folly will be forgotten. So what's the point? Why live like this? And along with this, Solomon grieves over the idea of leaving his work to someone who didn't work for all that he will be given. Right? What if this person that I leave this stuff to is a moron? Right? I have worked with wisdom. I have cultivated these lands. I have built up this massive amount of wealth. And what if the kid that I leave this to is a complete idiot and he wastes it away? Then all of my effort would be futile. It would be meaningless. And he says also, like, I don't want to give this away to someone who didn't do anything to earn it. Right? I put in this work. I did all this stuff. And I'm just going to hand it to someone else and all of a sudden they get everything that I worked for. It's futility. Eventually my life is going to end and I'm going to hand this off to someone else and I have zero control of what's going to happen to it. Life is meaningless. And if we just close the book right there, like we would need some Prozac or something as we left this place. I mean, this is a bleak outlook on life. So what's the solution? What do we, where do we find hope? Where do we find meaning? Well, luckily, Solomon hasn't gone completely off the reservation, and he gives us some ideas of how to find hope. Look in verses 24 to 26. He says, There is nothing better for a person than to eat, drink, and enjoy his work. I have seen that even this from God is from God's hand, because who can eat and who can enjoy life apart from him? For to the person who is pleasing in his sight, he gives wisdom, knowledge, and joy. But to the person he gives the task of gathering and accumulating in order uh, to give to the one who is. Let me start that over. For to the person who is pleasing in his sight, he gives wisdom, knowledge, and joy. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and accumulating in order to give to the one who is pleasing in God's sight. This too is futile and a pursuit of the wind. How do we live a life that has meaning? How do we find wisdom, knowledge, and joy that has ultimate meaning? We do what is pleasing to God. We seek after that relationship with Him. We live for Him. We honor Him. We bring Him glory. That's how we focus on everything. When we walk out of this place today, our mind should be, how do I glorify God today? Right and that's going to look differently for each of you. But that's the reason when I was going when I've preached through the values of this church, I put a huge emphasis on intentionality. Right? It's going to look differently for all of you, but as you go from this place, you should have in your mindset, I'm going to live for God today. I'm going to do what pleases God today. What will that look like for me today? I have no idea. But I'm going to go out of this place. I'm going to be mindful of it as I go. Because that is the only way that I can find meaning in this life. Us working for the kingdom of God. Us striving to be in relationship with Him. Is the only thing that matters in this life. It's the only thing that transfers in this life to the next. Everything, up will be, everything else will be burned up in the refiner's fire. We take nothing with us except for the work that we have done for the kingdom of God in this life. Do you want wisdom? Do you want knowledge? Do you want joy? Notice he doesn't mention happiness here. Because sometimes living for God means that we have to self-sacrifice ourselves and we don't get the happiness that we want. But we get something so much better than that and we get joy. That cannot be taken away by any circumstance that we will face in this life. We will get wisdom, we will get knowledge, we will get joy. And the sinner, the person who is constantly walking in in rebellion against God, what do they get? They get the task of gathering and accumulating in order to give it to the one who is pleasing in God's sight. If we are not in pursuit of God, then our lives are meaningless. Ultimately, at the end of the day, at the end of our life, we're going to present all of this stuff before God. And it's not going to matter because if we do not have a a personal saving relationship with Jesus Christ, nothing that we offer up matters. We cannot earn our way into heaven. We cannot be good enough to get our way into heaven. We can't do enough to go to heaven because our sin separates us from God forever. So it needs Jesus to die on our behalf for his righteousness to become ours, for our punishment to go on to him in order for us to go to heaven and say, God, I have nothing to offer you. The only reason why I should be here is because of Christ. You are pursuing something here today, church. Every single day you wake up and you are pursuing something. You are trying to find meaning somewhere. And the question is, are you seeking that meaning in the work that you're doing? Are you seeking that meaning in your your relationships? Are you seeking that meaning in in your self-esteem? Where are you seeking that meaning? Or are you seeking that meaning in your relationship with God? one of these is futile and meaningless and the other means everything let's pray together Father if we if we don't look at the world correctly we can fall into the same lifestyle as Solomon and come up realizing that everything is futile that everything is meaningless And whether we be wise or whether we be foolish it doesn't matter if we are separated from you but I pray that you would help open our eyes to the truth that eternal things Matter so much more than the things of this world. I pray that our hearts would desire to pursue You in relationship with all that we have, all that we think, all that we say and do, and that we would pursue after You with fervency so that other people might see it and want it and have a desire for that relationship as they are searching for meaning in their own life. So Lord, as we go from this place and as we have our minds set on things other than your kingdom and your glory, I pray that you would forgive us. I pray that you would convict our heart and that we would repent of that and we would turn and we would be striving with everything that we have to make meaningful connection with people so that they might see the beauty of your son. I ask all this in your son's precious name. Amen.